We continue our new study in the book of James. We're looking at verses 2 through 4 of James chapter 1. Now, the broad subject of James is, is that we might listen and live. And here in our passage today, he gives us uh, a command about joy that has in it, if we will listen, one of the great keys to living. It gives us a, a different perspective on the things that happen in front of us, on our challenges especially, our struggles, trials, even temptations that beset us. It's as if you know, we're walking through the world in one of those great big mazes that they make out of uh, hedges, you know, the bushes, uh, that you can just kind of walk through and the bushes are six feet tall or something, maybe eight feet tall, and you can't see the path and you're just making right turns and you get to a dead end and you get to, oh man, I go back and you backtrack. Some of those mazes have periodically a place where you can go up a little higher and see the path before you. Some of you even have like a rotunda, a place you can walk up and just view the whole maze. And our passage today, here in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, offers that same perspective on all of life. It doesn't show you the path. You can't see it in that level of detail. But it says to you, look, there is an end. There is a goal that what you are going through is for a purpose. So stick to it. Endure. And that's our our focus today here in James 1, verses 2 through 4, that we might live. Would you listen to God's word? James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is God's word. Father, would you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts today, reveal to us good things in your word. Speak to us that this might be more than ink on paper, pixels on a screen, sound waves hitting our eardrums. That this might be the very living and breathing Word of God transforming us. For that's what it is. And we come in the name of Jesus, trusting in your Spirit to work. Amen. So I do feel like so much of, of life, especially here in the pandemic days, is kind of like walking through one of those giant mazes through the bushes. It, 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 you don't know what's going to be around the next turn. It feels like a dead end. It even maybe feels like the, the bushes are closing in on you and you have to just press your way through. You know, people do what people do. God is doing what he does. Things are happening all around us. There's disasters. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's economic struggles, inflation. You know, there's potential war between Russia and Ukraine. There's just 
7% price increases, you know, all of those kind of things. And oh yeah, by the way, there's still this whole plague pandemic thing happening. It's just a lot. It feels overwhelming. And as we experience it individually, you get this sense that it'd be great to kind of escape. How can we get away? I'm so tired of the pandemic. You know, I've said that to my wife in the last week so many times. But it's not going away. So how do we continue? Well, as we look at this passage, really, you, you, you can't escape in a good way. There really is no good escape. Rather, you have to go through life. And James says that to us here in a way that's different than you would expect. That without an intentional shift of focus, you're not going to make it through life. But yet, if you will make an intentional shift of focus, if you will think differently, he says, you can not only get through, but you can amazingly enough find joy in the midst of the struggles. He says it right at the beginning of our passage in verse 2. It's a command, consider it all joy. That's a, that's a thought kind of word. Consider, think, reckon. It's a, it's a command. Essentially to take another perspective using your mind and not just your emotions. No matter what your heart is telling you, no matter how difficult it is, James is saying, think. Think. Shift your thinking. Consider these hard things Listen carefully. Consider these hard things not in themselves a joy. He's not saying that. He's not saying become a masochist. He's not saying delight in pain and suffering. He's saying think about these struggles and trials and even the good things you experience as a path to joy. It's like that great truth, though, that Paul shares over in Romans 8, 28, right? That all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. That's a, that's a wonderful truth to hear sometimes, and sometimes when someone says that to you, you just want to smack them, right? I'm not in a good place, you know? And sometimes we need some time. We need some space not to wallow and complain, but to calm down, to acknowledge the suffering and the struggles, and to say, you know what? I, I need to make a choice here. Am I going to follow? Am I going to listen to what James is saying here? A am I going to live? A am I going to consider a different perspective? Am I going to shift my thinking. And if you will, if you will respond to the struggles of life, even the good things of life, by not merely emoting or complaining or giving up even, you will, if you will attempt to shift your thinking, James is going to lead you to faithful living. And, and, and we'll, uh, we'll unpack that over the weeks to come. We're not going to resolve it all today. But here, in this, just this first passage, this is what he starts off with after the letter, after he addresses his letter, right? For James, 
a little bit about himself to, to you, the 12 tribes. Then he says, first thing, consider it joy when you experience these trials. And he's not saying take a stiff upper lip, be stoic, you know, feel no pain. He's not saying don't despair or complain. He's saying that through these things, God is working something for your good. God is working, and if you will shift your perspective, you can even find joy in the midst of it. You can make progress in faithful living tomorrow if today you will recognize the only healthy way out is through. In fact, an intentional shift of focus <clears throat> is necessary for faithful living because in a fallen world, the only healthy way out is through. An intentional shift of focus is necessary for faithful living because in a fallen world, the only healthy way out is through. So we're going to talk about endurance. Really, that's the topic. Endurance. Perseverance. That word appears in verse 3 and in verse 4. And then it appears toward the end of the book in verse uh, 11 of chapter 5. The related verb, that's the noun, endurance, the related verb to endure, to persevere, appears in verse 12 and also in chapter 5, verse 11. Endurance, this word that appears here in the verb form, it basically means to bear up under difficulty. Uh, another definition is along these lines, that you maintain a belief or a course of action in the face of opposition. You might say to stand your ground or to keep moving forward despite what's coming at you. Endurance has to be a key part of our lives. It has to be something in your mind and your heart as a Christian, if you look through especially the New Testament, but it's always been the story of God's people, that we have to endure, we have to persevere, that it is through many trials we will enter the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Paul speaks of suffering and the character it builds in Romans chapter 5. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. You, you see this theme throughout scriptures of endurance. The book of Revelation speaks of those who persevere to the end, those who endure. And the Bible sets these things out, not to beat you up and say you're a failure, but to say, God believes this of you, that you can endure. Whatever is set before you. And that becomes then the question, well, where do you get endurance? Where does it come from? And what are the results of endurance? How do those things work together? And that's what we're going to look at, those two questions, basically. Where does endurance come from? And what are the results of endurance that we might live faithfully? So, so first, the endurance comes from faith encountering specific tests. Endurance comes from faith encountering specific tests. You could put it this way. Faith plus testing makes endurance. They come together. If you, if you don't have those, then you won't get endurance. Uh, it's clear, verse 3. James says, <clears throat> that you can count it all joy, verse 2, knowing, verse 3, that the testing of your faith 
produces endurance. But what is the faith and what are the tests? The faith here is not just, you know, I believe. It's not I have confidence in confidence itself, right? Is, is, was, that, was that Mary Poppins or was it the Sound of Music person? Which one was it? Okay, it's the Sound of Music. I wanted to make it Mary Poppins, but it was the Sound of Music. You're not just having confidence in confidence. There's a way we can talk about faith and say, I believe, you know, I'm going to carry on. And we're saying, there's something in me. It's my resolve. Yeah, no. The faith that James is talking about here is not just faith in and of itself. It's not just this absolute, just strong belief that I know. It is faith in Jesus. That it is only faith in Jesus that meets tests that leads to endurance. He says that it's clear because in verse 1, he says he's writing to the 12 tribes. You remember we talked about this last week. Uh, and he begins this passage here in verse 2 saying, Consider it all joy, my brothers. Consider it all joy, fellow Christians. Consider it all joy, those of you who, he says in chapter 2, verse 1, who are my brothers, chapter 2, verse 1, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of personal favoritism. It is faith in our glorious Lord Jesus. It is that faith that can lead to endurance as it faces testing. We'll talk about tests in a minute. But it is that faith. It is that faith because that faith doesn't waste energy trying to rescue itself. It's that faith that doesn't just try to prove how much it's worthy. It is that faith that comes from a humble place before God. It is that faith that receives energy by opening its empty hands to the God who gives greater grace. Chapter 4, verse 6 of James. You can count on me, Lord willing, trying to mention that verse every week. I pray Pastor William and Pastor David do as well. Because as you look through this book, if you were reading through it, it would take 20 minutes we want to not forget, in the midst of all the commands, you remember almost every other verse is going to have a command. We need to remember the grace that comes in chapter 4. It is that great grace, verse 6 of chapter 4. He gives greater grace. It says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is the God who James says right after our passage in verse 5 that is placed in the God who gives to all generously. Literally there it is the giving God. That it is part of God's character to give. And that is one of the hardest things with us. That's why we, we like to redefine faith into just me believing, right? If I believe hard enough, then, hey, I, anything is possible. That's Disney faith. That's not Christian faith. That's 
prosperity, false gospel faith that says it's up to you. And if you don't get what you think you should have, then you have failed. That's not, there's no trial in that. That's trusting in your own strength. He's saying here that this faith is rooted, planted, resting in Jesus. It's a faith that receives and rests in Jesus Christ alone as he is offered in the gospel. It's faith that has relieved its soul the burdens of sin by placing it on Jesus and leaving it there. Recognizing there is nothing I can do to make up for my past wrongs except say, you know what? Jesus, take them away. Jesus, forgive me. That's this faith that James has in mind. This endurance relies on faith because it taps into Jesus who endured all things for our sake. Just here in James, if you flip back a couple of pages in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, like one or two pages to the left in your Bible. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance. That's the same word we're talking about here in James. With endurance, the race that is set before us. Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on ourselves and how strong we are. Fixing ourselves on our to-do list and how we're going to try harder this year. Does that say that? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of, of faith. Who for the... Oh, this is interesting, isn't it? The joy set before him. Hold on to that. Endured the cross. Despising the shame of the cross. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, verse 3 of Hebrews 12, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. At this point in the book of Hebrews, the author has just made this case that Jesus is superior to everything and everyone. Angels and Moses New covenant is coming with him. It's better than the old covenant. All of this. And then what does he say? His punchline here in Hebrews chapter 12 is the same thing that James is saying. That your hope is in Jesus. That you fix your eyes upon Jesus. This Jesus who considered it basically all joy to persevere through the suffering and trials of the shame and torture and death on a cross. Rejection by all, even though he was good. This Jesus considered it all joy. He reckoned it all joy. It was miserable. You can't read the passion stories of the gospel, any one of them, and not see suffering and experience. That's one of the reasons why I love Good Friday, and I'm already looking forward to it when we have that service and we just read through with different parts 
the story of that last week of Jesus' life as he suffers. You know, already be thinking about that now and prepare your heart for it because now we know that as Jesus was doing it, he was considering it all joy as he went through that. Not because it was great, right? Not because it's like, oh, yay. Not because someone said, just consider it all joy. But because he knew it was for a purpose. And a purpose that was beyond even himself. It was for God's glory and it was for the good of God's people that Jesus could endure that knowing that the future joy awaited him when he would be able to welcome people like you and I into his presence. When he would be able to say, your sins, though they are as scarlet, I have made them white as snow. Your death has been suffered for me and you will live because I live. Your shame has been borne by me and you don't need to bear it anymore. The power of the devil has been broken because I have conquered him and his accusations now have no power because God himself says you are right with God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and put your faith in Jesus. Is what James is talking about as he speaks of this faith being tested. This faith is a faith in Jesus. And the tests, what are the tests that this faith meets? Well, verse 1 speaks of, of various, or verse 2. Back in James, I'm still in Hebrews. Go over to James again. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That's one word. It could be translated testing. Sometimes it is. And then verse 2 has the testing of your faith. And that is a different word that is about testing to see what something is made of. Uh, like... You test the gold to see if it has impurities. You, you test the, the sword to see if it works. Those kind of things, right? Uh, the, the other word that's translated trials here can mean either uh, the external circumstances that happen around you, the things in life that come at you, or as he says it here, uh, when you encounter, that you could literally translate that as when you fall into you know, when stuff happens in your life, it's something around you. It's, it's outside of you. It becomes the internal enticement to sin, and you could translate it as temptation, the same word, when it's something internal. And it could even be something good, right? You, you, you get a big pile of money legitimately. It can be a temptation based on what's inside of you, even if it seems outside of you like it's a, it's a really good thing. Inside of you, what are you going to do with it? Mm, yeah, I can do whatever I want. You know, that's, that's the same word. Testing or trial. It depends on whether it's just outside or whether there's something going on inside. And these, based on the context here, it's testing. It is the testing of your faith. As something comes at you, and we'll talk more about this in a few verses as he deals with the same topic again later in chapter 1 about what we do with temptations and testing. But these tests, this is, it's a, the trials are, are many colored. They're, they're various, it says in verse 2. When you encounter various trial, uh, trials, it's, it, it could be manifold. It's the same word that you could use to describe Joseph's 
coat of many colors. They're, they're, they're various things that come at you, as one commentator put it. The trials that James has in mind are of various sorts. The fiery reds of persecution, the icy blues of loneliness, discouragement, and rejection, the yellow greens of sickness and death. You know, it is these things that come at us that enter into our world or we walk into them without sin that then become this test of meaning of faith. What am I going to believe? How am I going to respond? What's going to happen as this happens? In other words, when a living faith in Jesus meets circumstances that are not neutral, maybe they're really good or they're really bad, you are tested. In other words, do you realize that means that like pretty much all of life is a test? Everything that's happening is essentially a test. And if you are walking into it with a living faith in Jesus, whether it's good or bad, you can respond by considering it as joy. Because, we'll have to dig in this in a second, it is accomplishing a purpose. James is saying that these things are about more than suffering. They're not pointless, but they're not merely painful. Even the good. I was thinking about it this way, and I'm not sure if this is the best analogy. So, so you, you armchair theologians, uh, someone like Alan Ellis, I'm looking at you. Uh, this is the way I'm thinking about it. Your body has a muscular system, right? You've got muscles in various parts of your body. And, and if you want to have a healthy body, that doesn't happen by sitting in a chair, right? It, it, it happens by moving around. And maybe you go to the gym and you begin bench pressing. You know, you can kind of feel it in your, in your triceps and in the, uh, whatever these are, pectorals, is that? Yeah, I'm looking at the, the physical therapists up there, people who know anatomy. Um, so those, those muscles, you know, or, or, or maybe you do squats and you really feel it in your, in your thighs and your glutes. And, or, or maybe you run or you walk or whatever it is, right? So your, your body is getting healthier as it goes through some level of adversity, some level of challenge, right? Astronauts in space need to keep exercising or their muscles will atrophy. It's, it's essentially the same in, in the spiritual realm with faith. faith. Faith is the muscle that gets worked and activated as you encounter these struggles and trials. Or it is, is your soul that is strengthened through the working of faith as you encounter those things. Are you going to consider whatever comes your way as a test and a trial, and a trial that God has put in not to crush you or to ruin your dreams or anything else, but to make you stronger internally in who you are? This endurance comes from that faith encountering these specific tests. And as that happens, endurance continues, and you might fail, that will happen. 
And then how do you respond to that? That becomes a test as well. Do you believe God's promises? Do you believe he gives greater grace even in that failure? And do you build this endurance? And what happens then? Well, what happens is endurance over time results in the formation of your overall character. That's our second point. I just want to hit it briefly. That endurance results in the formation of overall character. Endurance comes from faith in Jesus meeting specific trials. But then what happens is over time, endurance results in the formation of your whole character. The results of endurance are there in verse 4. It says at the end of verse 4, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just unpack that briefly. Perfect has to do with meeting the high, a high standard, or it could be maturity, or moral development, those kind of things. It, it has a sense of, um, it's almost like complete, the word that's here. Wholeness uh, at a high standard, right? So that you would be the best human being you could be, right? That's the point and the result of endurance. It should be perfect and then complete, which is kind of overlaps with perfect, but it has more of a sense of, of wholeness, of integrity, sorry, of intactness, maybe even blamelessness sometimes, but this, this wholeness, you, you, that you are meeting the highest standard, that you are the whole package, that there's nothing missing, and so in case you miss it, he uses three phrases, right? Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Positive, positive, negative. Lacking in nothing. In other words, that you may be who God wants you to be, the human being that God would have you to be. Endurance is the key to that character formation. I mean, do we really, especially as we age, do we really, not merely out of necessity because stuff starts to break and sag and change colors and go away, you know, all, you know like, there's that stuff where we, we want to believe more, is other stuff is important. But really, as you age, do you not realize that what's most important about human beings, what makes someone deeply and profoundly attractive and someone you want to spend time with is not much about appearance at all, but so much more about who they are their character, the decisions they make, and how they have endured and persevered over time, how they've faced adversity. That's, that's the essence of what's happening here, that endurance over time results in this formation of overall character that is the key to character formation, not just some parts of you, but if you want to be a better person, you have to endure. There is no pill to then make you a better person. There is no easy path to becoming a better person. Our, our, our culture has an industry in self-help books. But even if you just think about that, it's like, I know there's something I should be doing. Is there this list somewhere that if I just follow these things, I'll be a better person. I'll be who I want to be. I'll be who they want me to be. I'll, whatever it is, do you realize that the biggest thing you can, endure, and you can do to develop your character is to endure, especially a type of endurance that is rooted in a faith in Jesus, meeting the tests of life and not giving up, 
even if it fails, to keep moving forward, trusting that God is at work in it. I heard one family was debating the, uh, the, the, the appropriateness, the biblical appropriateness of me quoting uh, Rocky last week about keep moving forward, right? I, that's endurance. The, the whole Rocky story, especially the first one and then Rocky Balboa, which is where I was quoting, it, it's about endurance. It's about not giving up. It's not about winning or losing. Obviously, it's not winning or losing, right? It's about what do you do when adversity comes? You crack some raw eggs and you run up the art museum steps, right? That's what... Have you guys seen Rocky? Anybody seen Rocky? Watch it. Go watch it. Um, you know, this, this endurance is ultimately what leads you to be a better person. And I think it's one of the reasons why uh, if you look at the qualifications for elders and deacons, it says not an, a recent convert, right? It, it's, it's, it's because you, you need time in living in faith to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, meeting tests, enduring to develop character. And, and it's never going to end. You know, it, don't be thinking that because it says that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, that that's like somehow it's going to be a day you arrive at that, this side of eternity. You're, you're not going to. That he who is faithful, he who began a good work is faithful and he will complete it, what, on the day of Christ Jesus. But this is, meanwhile, our mission. This is what we're about, is developing endurance that we might be better people, growing in character, and there seems to be a condition. If you look at the beginning of verse 4, the result here seems to have some condition attached. Look at the beginning of verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The, the, grammatically, it's, it's, it's hard for especially English, native English speakers. It's a third-person command. We don't usually do that. We usually command in the second person, right? You do this, you do that. You don't say, let him do that very often. This is saying, let endurance have its perfect work. Let it have its perfect result. Let it do the work. And literally the, the word there for result is work. Let endurance have its perfect work, have its way. What is that saying? It's saying don't give up. It's saying consider it joy knowing that something more profound is going on as God brings tests into your life and they meet your faith. That God is refining you and making you a better person if you're willing to take that perspective. If you let endurance have its work, its purpose is to form your character, and it will form your character. If you continue to persevere. Because the only way, the only faithful way out 
is through. If you want to live faithfully, you must persevere. What, what does that mean? It, if, if we understand this, if we're going to count, if we're going to consider it all joy, and, and you could say consider it pure joy, you, you need to take this bigger perspective. Right? You sometimes need to c cultivate some space. This is why, you know, if you can find some time, carve out some time in your life where you can just get a few minutes, if you're willing to just spend 10 minutes somewhere quiet away, maybe early in the morning or something, where you would just prepare yourself for the day, if it's possible. You know, some of us just can't do that, practically speaking. How can we find a place to remind ourselves on a regular basis that God is still doing something? That you can consider it joy, not that we're going through this suffering and that there's a plague around us, and not that we are now in like some of the most divisive and polarizing times of our history, not that there's like an economic crisis going on around us and prices are rising and all those kind of things, right? In the midst of that, in the midst of that, to cultivate a perspective that says, you know what, there's something even more important and profound than that. That no matter what happens, I would live faithfully for Jesus. That I would become the man or the woman, the child or the parent, the husband or the wife, the, the, whatever role you're in, the teacher, the doctor, the therapist. That I would become the person that God wants me to be. And he's working in this. So how am I going to then address the things that come at me? How, how am I going to reckon with the zealots on either side of the whole masking, not masking, treatment, not treatment? How am I going to deal with the people on the far right and the people on the far left? How am I going to respond to my social media feeds? How am I going to respond in, in all of these things? What we really try to do often is escape, don't we? You know, that's what the Facebook, the, the, the social media feeds get us an escape by feeding us the same stories from people we agree with, and then we make the other people seem like morons because they're just like not in... You know, they get like this much space in our bandwidth, no matter what the other side is. So how do we break out of that? How do we escape from that? We... Taking this higher perspective to say, you know what? There is actually something more important than your position on masking or not, on vaccines or not, on the pandemic or not, on Fauci or not, on Biden or not, on Trump or not, on uh, what we do with schools, when we open things up, what we do with this or that. There is something so much more important and it is you and your character. And it is the people you interact with and their character. And it is the God who is over all of it. And who says, you know what? I entered into this world and I suffered more than you could ever imagine. I did everything right, which you can't possibly do. 
and I persevered through it all because I loved God and knew he had a plan and I recognized I was a part of that plan. And because I did that and rose victorious over the grave and I have sent my spirit into your hearts, you can in me. And when you fail, you're still counted in me. And when you succeed, it's still counted in me. Jesus says all of these things to you. So if you want to live faithfully, it's going to require this intentional shift of focus because in a fallen world, the only healthy way out is through, and it is through Jesus, and in Jesus, and by Jesus, and for Jesus, and to his glory. And the God who works greater grace is with you in it. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you help us shift our focus? Lord, help us to carve out some time to just remember this thing. Lord, I... I I've been annoying my family the last couple of days when anything that remotely sounds challenging and I've said, count it all joy, just to be annoying. There's a truth to that, Lord, even in its annoyance. It's getting into my head and as I hear people talk about things, I realize I really should count that all joy. Not because it's hard or because it's scary or because it's uncertain or because it's challenging, but because in that is an opportunity to know you better. In that is an opportunity to humble myself before you and see you meeting and see you working and see you changing and transforming things. Lord, I pray each one of us would be able to look back and see what you have done, Lord, as we have faced adversities. Lord, help us to hear each other's stories of the challenges we have faced. Lord, I think of Marge Madrak and the cancer battle that she has gone through and how she consistently and genuinely and sincerely smiles and has joy. Lord, give us more marches. Lord, Make us more like that. That we would fix our eyes on you, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen.